Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. So, as Stephanie said from up front, we're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. And this week is probably one of the high points of our study in this book. We are concluding Hebrews chapter 11 and studying the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12. And this really is one of the climaxes of the book of Hebrews. So two weeks ago, we went through most of Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the key points um, to take away from Hebrews chapter 11 is that those who live by faith are pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. You can tell that those who are living by faith don't belong here on this earth. They belong in heaven. And in verse 14 it says, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And it's a good reminder to us if we ask ourselves the question, do our lives declare plainly that we're seeking the heavenly country or are we fitting in nicely here on this earth? Because there is a difference when we live by faith. And we see some of the examples, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's a whole list of other characters. And when you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about people who escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And verse 37 is one of the interesting verses in this chapter. Verse 37 says, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then notice the first part of verse 38. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. And we should ask ourselves the question, is the world not worthy of us, or are we very worthy to fit right into this world? because those who live by faith, the world was not worthy to have these people walking on the earth. They were really as if they were already living in heaven and the world was not worthy to contain them here because these people were so faithful. And it's interesting, some people escaped death, God delivered them, other people did not. And in both instances, they demonstrated faith. So sometimes when you exercise faith, you don't know what the end result's gonna be until you get to the other side. It may be deliverance, it may be death so that you may obtain a better resurrection. And some of the key characters, of course, through chapter 11 of Hebrews, there's of course Abel, Enoch, Noah. We've talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. Moses is mentioned here. And there's a list of other people that are mentioned in passing. And we, when we think of these people, you know, we do think about the heroes of faith. We think about Abraham as the father of the faithful. So it's a very poignant chapter describing faith. Abraham leaving his home country, he doesn't know where he's going, but he just follows God. Abraham and Sarah have faith 
to conceive Isaac even though they're past childbearing age. Moses by faith turns away from the riches of Egypt and he chooses rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now, we basically got to the end of chapter 11 last time, but we didn't have time to really spend really any thoughtful time on verses 39 and 40. And this is where we're going to pick things up today, and we're going to go into chapter 12. So starting in verse 39, it says, And these all, the people we've talked about here in Hebrews 11, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now here's an interesting thought. What, these people didn't receive the promise? What promise is this talking about? They obviously have a good report and they obtained this good report through faith. And the very fact that they have a good report that they obtained through faith and that they're mentioned here in Hebrews 11 tells us that we will see these people in heaven, right? I mean, we expect that the people here in Hebrews 11 will be among the faithful that we will see in heaven. But what does it mean when, they, when it says they received not the promise? Well, if you go on to verse 40, it says, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, those who died in faith, without us should not be made perfect. Now, this is an interesting passage. What is Paul talking about here? So you're telling me that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without us should not be made perfect? What does that mean? So Abraham's the father of the faithful, but there's another group of people that will be needed for Abraham to be considered perfect? What in the world is Paul talking about here? And let's make it even a little bit more challenging. Enoch is mentioned in this chapter. Of course, he didn't die. He was translated without seeing death. But it talks about how these all, having obtained a good report through faith, that includes Enoch. And it doesn't say that these all died, actually, in verse 39. It just says, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, Enoch is in heaven. So you're telling me Enoch didn't receive the promise? And he was translated. And what about Elijah, who's not mentioned in this chapter? He was translated. And Moses, he was resurrected and was taken to heaven, and he's here in this chapter. So what is it that Paul is saying, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise? You, you had your hand up over here. The promise of Christ actually being on this earth. Well, we're going to, that's a good thought. Her, her, her um, statement was the promise of Christ being here on this earth. What we're going to look at as we continue on is we will see what exactly this promise is based on the context of Hebrews. So what promise is it that these all who obtained a good report have not received? This includes people who were translated without seeing death and are in heaven now. That's Enoch and Elijah. This includes Moses, who was resurrected and is in heaven now, but yet it says he has received not the promise, because if it says these all, that includes everyone in this chapter. So that's something that we want to think about here. So 
verse 40, it says, God having provided some better thing for us. So as good a report as the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 received, God has something better for us. Now the question is, who is us based on Hebrews chapter 11? So we know who these all are. That's all the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Who is the us that God has provided some better thing for? And what we are going to look at is based on the context of Hebrews, we'll be able to figure out who that is. So <clears throat> God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, <clears throat> the question then is, <clears throat> what does it mean based on Hebrews 11:40 to be made perfect? Are you telling me that Abraham didn't have the righteousness of Christ? I mean, obviously he did. He's the father of the faithful. He was in the book of Genesis and in Romans. He is described as being declared righteous by God, which means that he is righteous. So this word perfect, <clears throat> it's the Greek word teleao. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's the word. And for those of you who might be taking notes, it's in the Strong's Concordance, it's word number 5048. And the word means to complete, accomplish, consummate, finish, fulfill, or to be perfect. And this word is found several other times in the book of Hebrews. And one of the other times that it's found is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is going to help us understand what the word perfect means at the end of Hebrews 11. And when it says that they without us should not be made perfect, then when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, this will help us to understand this idea a little better. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, what's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 talking about? This is talking about the ceremonial law and the round of ceremonies that the, the Hebrew people in the wilderness offered, and they continue to do so in the Jewish temple. You had the daily sacrifices, but you also had the yearly Day of Atonement service. And these services, which they performed year by year continually, could not make the comers there into perfect. So, for example, on the Day of Atonement, which happened year by year continually, one day a year, that was a day, if you look at Leviticus 16.30, was a day that God's people were to be cleansed from all their sins. But guess what happened on the very next day? The sacrifices started all over again because those sacrifices were a shadow of Christ who was to come, who really would take away their sin. And those sacrifices really did not make them perfect. It was 
a shadow, it was symbolic, but the sacrifices in and of themselves did not do that. And if you look at verse 2, it says, for then would they, these sacrifices, not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. And then if you go on to verse 4, it says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So notice what we have here. The blood of bulls and goats could not make those who perform these sacrifices perfect. It did not purge them of their sins. It did not take away their sins. And when on, in the, the sanctuary service were their sins to be taken away? What, what time of the, the sanctuary were, were, the, were the sins taken away? It was on the Day of Atonement. And yet what Paul is saying is, look, even on the Day of Atonement, the sins of God's people were not really taken away. They were not really purged. And if you look in the Greek, another word for purged is cleansed. And that should get your mind thinking about sanctuary language, the, the sanctuary being cleansed in heaven after 2,300 days. But these people, their sins were not cleansed. They were not purged. Their sins were not taken away. And another way to describe this is their sins really were not blotted out. But we understand based on Bible prophecy that with the blood of Christ, and you can study this in Hebrews 10, that his blood can take away sin. And we understand that after the 2,300 days, sometime after that point, he will blot out the sins of his people. That's what it means for sins to be taken away. But the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, or the blood of bulls and goats would not blot out the sins of God's people. The blood of the bulls and goats was merely symbolic of the blood of Christ, who with his blood he would offer himself as a sacrifice in the outer courtyard. Then he as priest would take his own blood into the holy place, and at the end of the 2300 days, take his blood into the most holy place as our high priest. And with that blood, he would cleanse us of our sins by taking away or blotting out our sins. So when we look at this word perfect at the end of Hebrews 11, where it says, they without us should not be made perfect, that is synonymous with Hebrews chapter 10, where to be perfect means to be purged of your sins or to have your sins taken away by blood on the day of atonement. And here is the, the key point. <clears throat> All those who died, and even those who were translated or resurrected and taken to heaven, have their sins that they committed while they lived here on this earth, have they been blotted out in the heavenly sanctuary? As far as we know, no. Because as we understand the beginning of the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary, the judgment of the dead began first, but the blotting out of sin, if you go to Acts chapter 3.19, and I'll just make that as a reference in passing, Acts 3.19 tells us that the sins of God's people will be blotted out when the latter rain has been, when it begins to be poured out. And as far as we know, the latter rain has not been poured out yet either. So Enoch is in heaven. God translated him. 
that all of sin and come short of the glory of God, including Enoch. So the sins that he has committed while here on earth, while they have been forgiven and covered, they have not been blotted out, and there's still a record of his sins on the record books in heaven. But that will be blotted out when the latter rain is poured out. So that's an interesting thought here. So God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect or without us they should not have their sins blotted out. That's another way to read the text. So these all obtained a good report through faith and they are going to receive the promise of being made perfect or having their sins blotted out but it cannot be done without us. Now who is the us? So let's take a look then, moving on to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, this will help us to understand why Paul makes such a strong exhortation to run the race. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, wherefore? So it's like, look, so all those who obtained a good report, um, they without us should not be made perfect. God has something better for us. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these great cloud of witnesses? The heroes of faith in chapter 12, 11. Those who lived by faith. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here we have a call to run a race. And it's like, look, these people obtained a good report through faith, but God has provided some better thing for us. Well, what is that better thing? First of all, we see God calls us to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And when we look to Jesus and we see him as our savior, as the author and the finisher of our faith, dying on the cross? Maybe we'll stop asking questions like, well, what's wrong with this? Surely it doesn't matter how I dress or how I eat or this or that. God loves us and we can do whatever we want. But the apostle is saying, look, as we enter into the last days of Earth's history, there's some weights that God is calling us to lay aside. And notice it doesn't say sin, it says weight. And so there may be some things that you can say, well, how could this be a sin? And maybe it's not a sin. But maybe it's a weight that's keeping you from running the race. So in your life, you know. It's like, well, it's not something that's breaking the Ten Commandments per se but it's weighing you down so it's keeping your eyes off Jesus. So, you know, no one can point to a Bible verse and say, thou shalt not do such and such. But you know that that thing in your life is keeping you from running the race. 
and you know I've given the illustration before but if you run the Los Angeles Marathon you're not going to pile on a big backpack with lots of water bottles and sandwiches and cookies and this and that and the other thing because it would slow you down and you'd be the last person to reach the finish line. You might grab a water bottle while you're running and get some water, but you're not going to be carrying it in a backpack. You see the, the point there. So as we near the end of Earth's history, we are exhorted to lay aside every weight and the sin. If you have sin in your life, Paul is saying you cannot run this race. And as you look to Jesus, your sin-pardoning Savior, as you see that he died for you on the cross, you're not going to say, well, what's so bad about continuing to sin? You're going to see, my sins put Jesus on the cross, and he's my Savior. He died for me. I love him. Lord, please cleanse me of the sin in my life. I don't want that anymore. So we lay aside every weight and the sin, notice, which doth so easily beset us. So it's so easy to get weighed down by the weights in our life and the sins in our life. So the only way to lay aside them is to look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, that is what will make it possible to lay aside those weights and those sins in our lives. So, and then it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So again, as we lay aside some weights in our lives, there might be some things that we enjoy doing, but as we look at our lives, we realize those things are weighing us down. And so as we lay them aside, it takes patience to stay focused on the race at hand. If you're running the LA Marathon, you might be thinking about, man, it would sure be nice to be sitting in an air-conditioned house right now eating ice cream. That would just be awesome. But that would not help you keep your eyes on the finish line. And so what you do is you focus on the race at hand, which requires patience, perseverance, and discipline. And you got a, a comment back here. So not only do we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, but we can look at the cloud of witnesses who had the experience of living by faith. And what happened, how did they live their lives when they were running that race, so to speak. So that's very good. Now, let's look here. So we lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us. We run with patience the race that is set before us. And then verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when we look at Jesus, we're looking at him as the author and finisher of our faith. 
And what that suggests, and I've talked about this in this class before, when you run a race, there's a beginning point, the gun fires and everyone starts off running, but there's also a finish line that you will eventually cross. And the question is, what is the function of Jesus as we look at him as the author and finisher of our faith. How is he the author of our faith? Well, Paul explains it. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So what's the, the starting point? How does Jesus author our faith? We see him as our savior and redeemer on the cross. How he died on the cross, how he despised the shame, and yet he went through it because he saw that the, the joy that was set before him, which is the salvation of our souls. So we see Jesus on the cross, and that gets us started. When we see a, a being that is so lovely and so wonderful, we say, I can give my life to someone like that. I can surrender my life to someone like that because they have my best interest at stake. They died, he died for me to save me. So we get started and we keep our eyes on Jesus as our savior every day. But as we continue that race, eventually we get to the finish line and we see that Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's in the sanctuary in heaven. So as we strive for the finish line, we see Jesus in heaven as our high priest seated on the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we run this race? We see Jesus as our savior on the cross and we also see Jesus as our high priest in the sanctuary in heaven. And those two functions help us to run the race because Jesus on the cross, we give our lives to him, we ask for forgiveness of sin, we repent of our life of sin. But then when we see Jesus as our high priest, the whole book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being our high priest as our example, being tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, how that he was made in all things like unto his brethren so that he could help us when we, are, when we suffer being tempted. That's Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5, all of those things. And so when we are running this race, we get tempted, we get hit. We're being tempted to give up our patience, to take our eyes off the prize. But we say, you know what? When Jesus was here on this earth, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So there's no excuse for me not to keep my eyes on him and to keep going forward because he has the power and the grace to help me move forward. And so how do we run with patience? We keep our eyes on Jesus first as our savior, secondly as our example and high priest. And so as we do that, we will eventually get to the finish line. Now, here's an interesting point. When it says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, Obviously, the word author means to be um, the beginner of our faith. Now, the word finisher was translated into English as finisher, but the Greek word actually comes from the same form of the word at the end of Hebrews 11.40, which is the word perfect. So remember how these all having obtained a good report through faith but without us should not be made perfect? Well, the better translation in Hebrews 12:2 would be Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, when he is the perfecter of our faith, we saw that that word perfect is connected in Hebrews 10 with being purged of our sins or having our sins taken away. And what this is describing then is Jesus is the one 
who blots out our sins. He is the perfecter of our faith. So when we get to the end of the race, Jesus who finishes our faith or perfects our faith, he blots out our sins. And at that point, the race is over. And so the beginning point, Jesus with his, sheds his blood as our author. And the finishing point, Jesus with his blood that he shed as our author, as our savior, he blots out our sins. I like that. So the beginning point, Jesus sheds his blood for us. The finishing point, Jesus with his blood blots out our sins. Now whose sins is he gonna blot out? Those who run the race. Who runs the race? Those who lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset them, and those who look unto Jesus as the author and finisher. And we've seen this concept before. It's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, where it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. That's Jesus as the author of our faith. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that looked for him. Those, that's the group of people who look to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. They run with patience the race set before them. They lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset them. So unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. That's the second coming. Without sin unto salvation. Why does Jesus appear the second time without sin? Because he's the finisher of our faith or the perfecter of our faith. He has blotted our sins out. I like that. That's a very beautiful and powerful promise. So think about this. Those who look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, they will finish the race and have their sins blotted out. Now, we've talked about this before, but I wanted to tie this in here. Jesus is described as being seated at the right hand of God as the author and finisher of our faith, or the author and perfecter of our faith. But in Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus is described as our high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as high priest and as author and finisher of our faith, he performs the same function. And in Hebrews chapter 8, if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 8, when Jesus is our high priest seated on the right hand of God, he is the mediator of a better covenant, the new covenant. What does he do as high priest, as mediator of the new covenant? He writes his law into our hearts and minds. That's verse 10. And in verse 12, it says he remembers our sins no more. That's because he blotted our sins out. So Jesus, as our high priest, seated on the right hand of God, he writes his law into our hearts. Jesus, also seated at the right hand of God, is the author and finisher of our faith. What does he do? He gives us patience so that we can run the race that is set before us. And when we get to the finish line, he's the finisher of our faith or the perfecter of our faith, he blots our sins out. And when you have that experience of having your faith finished, you have the same faith that Jesus has because he ran the same race we are called to run. He is the forerunner in Hebrews 6. So here's what's interesting. Jesus at the right hand of God writes his law into our hearts and minds. If he writes his law into our hearts and minds, do you think we'll be an obedient group of people or a disobedient group of people? will be obedient, will keep the commandments of God. And he gives us patience, and when we get to the end of the race, we have the faith of Jesus. Now, 
when you look at those descriptions, what Jesus is doing on the right hand of God is he's preparing a group of people who will keep the commandments of God because his law has been written into their hearts and minds, who will run with patience the race set before them, and who will finish the race, have their sins blotted out, and at the end of that race they have the faith of Jesus. That is the same description as the group of people in Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They are also called the 144,000. They are the group of people who are translated without seeing death. So what is Jesus doing on the right hand of God? He's our high priest and the author and finisher of our faith. And his role is to prepare the 144,000 who will have God's law written in their hearts and minds, they have patience, and they have the faith of Jesus. They are those who are translated without seeing death. And they are the ones who will be alive when their sins are blotted out. Or in, in biblical terms, that is when they will be made perfect. If your sins are blotted out and there's no record of your sin, according to the Bible definition, you're perfect. Your sins have been taken away. And when the 144,000 have their sins blotted out, so does everybody else. All those who obtain the good report through faith in Hebrews 11. So what's the better thing that God has provided for us that they without us should not be made perfect? The better thing is this. God has raised up the Second Advent Movement, and you can clearly see this in the book of Revelation, God raised up the Second Advent Movement to give the three angels messages to prepare the 144,000. That 144,000 will be the group of people who run the race with patience, they lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset them, they have God's law, His new covenant written into their hearts and minds, and they have their sins blotted out when the latter rain begins to be poured out. So God raised up the Second Advent Movement to be the last generation on earth who, by the grace of God, through faith, will have their sins blotted out. And when they have that experience, all those who obtained a good report, including Enoch and Moses, who are in heaven now, will also have their sins blotted out. They will be made perfect they will have their record of sin removed. So we have a high calling as God's last day people to give the three angels messages, which prepares a group of people to keep the commandments of God, have the patience of the saints, and the faith of Jesus. And of course, when you have the faith of Jesus, you exercise the same faith that Jesus had. And by the way, that is the third angel's message. So Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us how to experience the third angel's message. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Run with patience. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then he makes an appeal in verses 3 and 4. He says, for consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted sin unto, or, sorry, ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. So, a lot of times we see the race that God has set before us 
and we become weary and faint in our minds. And we say, oh, does God really want us to, to run a race like this? This is too hard. What does Paul say to do? Consider him. Consider Jesus. Look, he endured con the contradiction of sinners against himself. He was a holy being. And here he was, here on this earth, being spat upon, being mocked, being tortured. But he endured that because he saw the prize at the end of the day, and that was the salvation of our souls. And God's last day people, when they see the joy that will be set before us, and that is eternal life, and it's also the vindication of God. It will change our perspective on how we live our lives. So instead of saying things like, you know, is this a salvational issue? Does it really matter if I do this or if I do that? The question we'll be asking as we look to Jesus is, will God be glorified by this decision? I love Jesus so much that I want to give glory to him. So it's not whether or not this is a salvational issue. The question is, will God be glorified by the way I live my life because I love him. And those are the kind of people that God will be glad to save. People who are not asking, what's the minimum I can do to get into heaven, but how can I live my life to give the most glory to God? And there's a big difference as God's last day people who experience the three angels' messages and prepare to go to heaven. There's a big difference in our mentality are we just trying to barely get by and scrape into heaven, kind of like barely passing a final exam in medical school? Or are we really trying to live our lives to give the most glory to God possible? And those who look to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, they are the ones who will give glory to God. They will have their sins blotted out. And because of the 144,000, the last generation, God will be able to blot out the sins of all of the others who have ever lived, saying, the last generation shows what all of those who obtained a good report would have done if they had lived at the, the closing days of Earth's history. So Hebrews, the climax as we get to Hebrews chapter 12, is all about preparing a group of people who will have the experience of being like Jesus. And so my prayer is, as we consider Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, that it will change our perspective on how we live our lives. Are we living to just scrape by and get into heaven? Or are we living to give glory to God? And there's a big difference. So may we be among the faithful who have the patience of the saints, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Why don't we have a closing prayer to wrap up? Father in heaven, we thank you for this message in the book of Hebrews. May we be among the faithful last generation who, by faith, finishes the race. We have our sins blotted out and we have Christ's character reproduced in our lives so that God's name will be glorified here on this earth. Please help us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.